This episode of Lost Cast is brought to you by Gyroscope Software. Gyroscope's new Unity plugin allows indie game developers to maximize engagement and monetization with just a few clicks. Jeff, do you know what LTV means? Well, I do, but it's only because we've talked about this kind of stuff ad nauseum <laughs> on the podcast. You're cheating. I am cheating. You know, I would put money down that a lot of our listeners have maybe heard the term before, but they don't know exactly what it means. It means lifetime value, and it's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, you need to know about if you want to make money with your game, right? Like, we don't want to worry about this stuff. We just want to program those computers and make those graphics, make fun games, right? But the problem is, if you want to make money from your work, which a lot of us do, you've got to know these things. So that's something that Gyroscope Software's new Unity plugin can help you with. Okay, that sounds great, but how does that actually help me with monetizing? Gyroscope's Unity plugin learns about your players and directs your game to take actions at the right time to increase engagement and monetization. Well, I mean, obviously I want to make money with that game, but, you know, it takes time to make. I'm busy. I have things to do. Uh, How is this going to allow me to scale better? So, the plugin finds the right balance for each player and maximizes their LTV, which, as we learned earlier, means lifetime value. It's good stuff. Okay, here's something, though. I want to engage users through personalization, but I don't really know how to digest all that data myself. You're not a data science expert? Get out. <laughs> Be <Fired>. gone. <laughs> Gyroscope Software's Unity plugin adapts and personalizes your game experience. How can you go wrong? Well, how does it know what actions to take? You tell the plugin the actions it can take, and then it personalizes your game by changing if and when those actions occur for each individual player. Oh, that sounds pretty good. I'm sold. How do I get it? Gyroscope Software is entering its free private beta. Just a few clicks away, just install the asset and you're ready to go. You can check it out right now at getgyroscope.com. Now listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 229. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. Another sponsored episode, Exciting Times. We're so legit. Can you believe right, it? Right. It's like we're a real yeah. podcast. Or almost. Something. Almost. Uh, so yeah, go to getgyroscope.com. Do check it out. And by all means, let us know in the Discord via email or Twitter, or whatever. Just let us know what you think. We're super curious. We don't have like a big project in Unity at the moment, uh, but I know a lot of you do. So uh, let us know what you think, you know? Yeah, I'd be anxious to hear that. Today, we're going to talk about a new platform that just launched this week called Jump. We have a listener question about theme. Uh, I'm going to do a fun exercise if we have time. Talk about uh, some of the games in our portfolio. We have another listener question about uh, analyzing the markets. And then I mentioned this a while ago, but I want to talk about code intent. I want to get to it eventually, but because I think it's interesting. That's like the uh, <laughs> the sprint task that keeps rolling over. It's like it the is. one bug that you can't ever fix. Yeah, it's like, man, all right, is this on the backlog or what? Yeah. What's going on here? Why can't you seem to get this done? <laughs> no, I want to talk about that, though. And uh, if if time has told us anything, it's that we won't have time today, but we'll see. Right. Well, we usually we ramble see. about things longer than we intend to. Yeah. Ten, tangential cast. Yeah. So, Jump. Let's talk about Jump. Tell us about Jump, Jeff. Yeah, Jump. So, Jump is a sort of uh netflix for games is kind of like the one-liner right and it's like a subscription service where you can pay you know i think it's 10 bucks a month or whatever um to have access to a whole bunch of games 
and they have a client that you can download and you play the games like kind of right within the client. Um, they're HTML5 kind of web-based games or Unity export games, I think, for the most part. Um, but yeah, it's a kind of an interesting uh, value proposition, right? Because it sort of, it's kind of where a lot of other creative industries have been heading, right? With like Spotify and that kind of stuff, subscription-based music, right? Like pay nine ninety nine a month and you can access our entire catalog and, you know, stream it and play it, whatever. Wait, Jeff, back up. What is Netflix? Is that what you said? What is what even is that? <laughs> what even? Yeah, it's it's obscure streaming service. Huh. Yeah. See, it's interesting. It's it's so ubiquitous, isn't it? I mean, there's, you know, Netflix and chill. Like, it's part of pop culture now, right? right. It, you yeah. don't even have to be like, when you say it's like Netflix for games, you don't have to be like, oh, you're not familiar with Netflix. It's like Google, right? Yeah. Everybody knows what it is. You can't, like, be online for very long without being like, what? Oh, hey, Netflix. You know, like, it's, it's part of our... Uh, part of our brains at this point that's really interesting it's like you almost don't even give it a second thought sometimes right as someone who takes that for granted yeah and how about this there are people in the world who don't know what netflix is <gasps> oh who are they i don't know so bizarre <laughs> yeah but it's an interesting platform and should we do a full disclosure well you sure i mean yeah we're gonna get to the fact that we have a game on there uh we partnered with them uh for their beta and we have awl on there um, best game ever yeah we actually updated it we did we did some work on it we uh upgraded to the latest gin which is our game engine which was as non-trivial right yeah like, that was, that was uh, not a super easy task it took us a while things get out of date you know it's like you know remember a few episodes back <laughs> i was complaining about oh, out of date dependencies <laughs> oh you remember yeah <laughs> astute listeners will remember yeah it's interesting because we were talking about how like um you know you took those lessons like because you've been recently burned by like out-of-date libraries and stuff you know you've taken that to your work um, at play-doh to improve the situation there which is awesome you know like you have leveled up as a dev yeah but you know unfortunately the mistakes i made as a worst developer (laughs) three or four years ago are still haunting me damn you past jeff how could you (laughs) how could you but that's okay. Um, it was actually kind of fun to get back into the code and, you know, get it all working on the latest and greatest. It's kind of one of those things where if you haven't played it for a while, you know, you come back and, you know, you and I both were getting sort of nostalgic about it as we were fixing it. That's true. We're like, oh, this game's not so bad. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot to like, you know, okay, listeners especially, people who have been listening to the podcast for a while know that we <laughs> we go through phases, right? Because for a while there was the greatest thing since sliced bread and then after it hit the market and we're like, we see in the stark light of day all the issues with it, right? And we're like, oh, this is uh, not the best game. Let's poke holes in it for months at a time. But then we're playing it again and we're like, look, the lighting looks good. The graphics are like fun and inviting the core gameplay of walking around throwing swords using your soul abilities picking up gold like it's good it's fun right it's like it's only when you play the game for you know hours and hours when you start to see the um the kinks in the armor right <laughs> right yeah <laughs> we, we were enjoying it. yeah but anyways it's not really about awl so much as it is you know we took the opportunity to try out another modernization strategy with awl that you know, especially for this point in its lifetime, I think is an absolutely no-brainer, you know? Uh, it's like Very true. pretty much like, you know, when syndication comes around for Seinfeld, right? It's like, why not? Yeah, and what you've, what I've heard is like, syndication is, is big money for TV, right? Like you want, like that's the goal almost for any 
kind of like episodic show at least you know for something like seinfeld something like friends like when they start working on that show their end goal like they're crossing their fingers like oh please oh sweet syndication dollars because you can retire on that even as like a you know a side player or someone uh you know you don't have to be an ep or a star of the show to to make residuals on that for a long time and in theory uh you know that could be happening with netflix and you know jump could be the next netflix for games right like you know Years from now, we could be getting checks in the mail. Like, sweet. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting. You know, it's this is the kind of thing that there's a lot of controversial opinions about um, mm-hmm. within the industry, I think, because the race to the bottom and the indie apocalypse is like a thing, right? It is. It exists. And as people who, you know, tried and would still not hate being able to make a living selling indie games to people right and you know you know i've talked extensively in the cast about how we much prefer sort of the old model of like hey i'm going to give you ten dollars and you're going to give me this game that i can play offline and that i own right and you know blah 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 and i don't get heckled to (laughs) spend more money in um but you know the times there are changing that like what (laughs) <laughs> this is an outrage I know, right? lock it down get off my lawn freeze time in 19 i don't know 88 something something I 90s mean, maybe i'm not convinced that this will necessarily dominate monetization but i think that it's absolutely going to be a piece of the pie right yeah um just like the same you know humble's doing a very similar thing right with like a subscription that's true gaming service <clears throat> yeah and uh you know and all you have to do is look at the music industry, look at TV, you know, subscription models is where things are going right now. Maybe it's not like the final form, you know, but it's certainly <laughs> like the current true, phase. True final boss has not yet revealed itself. <laughs> That's right. It's usually like the, the spider remix of the final boss. Like, yeah. we don't know what that looks like yet. <laughs> yeah. I, like I think that. a lot of people, though, are sort of afraid that this is going to kill game revenues for indie games, especially. And I mean, the answer is maybe, but that's sort of like the natural balance of things when games become a commodity, you know, like just in the same way that television is a commodity, in the same way that music is a commodity, right? Like there are more people making music, right, than their our ears to listen to them sort of i mean i hesitate to phrase it that way it's the reason i kind of like trailed off there but you know because like i don't want to give the impression that i think that people shouldn't be making creative endeavors because there are too many we don't need any more you know i think there's always value in creating but yeah. when there are so many to choose from it's you know like we've talked about ad nauseum it's hard to find an audience sometimes um and so I think it's just the natural balance of the ecosystem at some point, right? Where we have a lot of supply. And so, you know, people, it's like, think about your Steam queue, right? Like we're, we're already almost in that phase anyway, right? Where it's like, you gave Steam some money, right? Last month. I don't know how much. Let's say <laughs> you sure gave did. them. <laughs> <I> sure did. <laughs> Let's say you gave them 20 bucks and I you was have. I not the only one. <laughs> yes you have some number of games to play some of which you may or may not play mm-hmm. right like it's not that dissimilar when you think about it you know i mean you are paying for one game at a time and the developers get a bigger cut uh of that like sort of focused interest right um but you know again this could just be like 
the way that we talked about humble bundles and stuff too, right? Like you don't want to be in a humble, humble bundle right off launch, right? Right. So I think that it's sort of a piece of the monetization puzzle, right? Like maybe you launch on Steam at full price with a very slim discount. You participate in a couple deep Steam discounts later, right? Then you participate in uh, like a humble bundle and, you know, at the same time or, you know, perhaps earlier, I don't know, you also put it on something like Jump where you kind of get that subscription-based revenue as well. Uh, something that you and I had thought a lot about when we were originally doing LDG and it never quite materialized because, you know, I don't think we were that good at it, but was the kind of <laughs> idea you? of having <laughs> your, our fingers in a lot of pies, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, let's license like white labor games to these companies and take a percentage or take ad revenue. Let's yeah. also work on our own first party games and try to sell those directly to the consumer. Let's take contract work. You know, it's a little bit overwhelming. Um, I think it would have been better if we could have like, you know, in this scenario, right, where you have one product where you kind of shop it around instead of what we were trying to do, which was like create different products for different markets. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't know. That was a good time, like just trying them all to see which ones would fit. But we definitely would like chase the money, right? Which is one of the reasons that we dedicated ourselves to Steam for a little while there is because, you know, unbeknownst to us, the door was closing, but it was open wide enough for us to get in and carve out a little bit of space for us to exist for a little while. And it's, uh, you know, there were the contracts, there were licenses, the white label stuff, and, and that was, like, Steam was by far the most lucrative, which is the reason we uh, explored that. Yeah. At least we're smart enough to, like, look at the bottom line and be like, <laughs> let's only care about this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Jump being like we are the Netflix of games, I think, um, invites comparisons, right? And what I kind of do mentally is I look at the streaming services that I use, because I use Netflix a lot, at least weekly, Right, mm-hmm. sometimes yep. daily. If I'm watching through a show or something, uh, I just watched Attack on Titan. Wait, was that on Netflix? I think it I was. think it was. Yeah, I know the original, or the first season was. But like, sometimes I'm really into it. Right, or like a new show comes out. Uh, anyway, the point being, like, if it's on Netflix and I want to see it, I will just watch it, which is kind of nice. And I don't really think about the cost because it's just kind of a sink every month. You know, you've got your budget, and you're like, look, whatever, it's ten bucks to drop in the bucket, right? And then I look at stuff like Amazon. So we've been Amazon Prime subscribers for a long time. And then a couple of years ago, they did that thing where, oh, now you get a bunch of free videos too, right? But there's still this weird divide. There's Prime videos where it's all free, just like Netflix, exactly the same thing, stream it all day long. Then there's just a video, I don't know what they call it, but like a premium service, basically. You can rent for a set period of time. But, you know, five bucks or something, you rent a new movie that came out recently and you get to watch it for like 48 hours or whatever, and then you're done. And you can also, like, you have an online uh, video library where you can buy stuff, which that starts to get up there. Where, like, you know, a, a new movie might be 20 bucks to own it through Amazon. And, you know, I'm, I'm increasingly less likely to watch something as you go down that list. Like Netflix, it's on Netflix. Yeah, I'll watch it. Of course. Why wouldn't I? Right. Right. Oh, it's an Amazon Prime? Yeah, same thing, right? Oh, it's available for rent. Okay, maybe. It depends. If there's something else for free that I want to watch, I might do that. And then it's like, you want to buy it? And I'm like, hardly ever. You know what I mean? Which is interesting to me because that's not how I used to watch movies at all. And that's not at all how I do gaming right now. Right. Yeah. But it could change. It absolutely could. And I mean, think about how your movie habits have changed, right? And Absolutely. Like, I 
would not like I don't <laughs> mourn the loss of DVDs, you know, or, or yeah. having to buy all movies as DVDs or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, or even if you're not talking about the actual format, right? Just the idea of buying a copy of a thing. Like I much prefer <clears throat> Netflix like all the time, you know, when it just comes to generalized watching of things. Um, yeah. And then the only times I do pay for a specific movie generally is, you know, if it's like a relatively popular new to rent kind of movie. Right. Right. Like, oh, I really wanted to see this, you know, whatever summer blockbuster i don't know and you know i wait two or three months and it comes out on google play to rent for like four or five bucks and then i buy it and i stream it to my tv and i sit in my pajamas and watch it and it's fantastic (laughs) and i'll never go to a theater again in my life (laughs) wow that's pretty extreme yeah it is um but anyways yeah like that fulfills all my tv watching needs right and maybe I'm not as hardcore of a TV watcher as I am a gamer. So, you know, maybe those comparisons aren't the same, right? Because I feel like as a gamer, I'm more into like the specifics, right? I want this particular game, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 you know, whereas my relationship with music and my relationship with TV has kind of drifted away from that where I'm more like, yeah, I want to listen to some 90s punk like do it pandora (laughs) or are you less particular then with your watching and listening like music and movies or whatever tv shows i want to say for music absolutely um i mean there's always times where you're like you want to hear that certain song or whatever but you know more often than not uh i can just like kind of play like a you know, play music like Alkaline Trio or something, and right. you know, it's fine. Um, TV is a little less like that. I, f- I do find myself kind of like, oh, you know, I, I feel like watching a documentary. Mm-hmm. I, I really want it to be narrated by David Attenborough and, you know, whatever. <laughs> you have parameters, but mostly you don't care. <laughs> right. I want a soothing voice and I want to be educated about something. I want to be, I want to be either outraged or en- entertained, but, but educated. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and I, I do feel like though games can fall into that same category, right? Because there are times, right, where I'm like, I would like to play something like Zelda 1, but not really. Right. You know? That's like how you found Oceanhorn. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I found Oceanhorn. I was like, yeah. oh, it's sort of like this other game, but, you know, different. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that there could absolutely be a market for, you know, hey, I'm going to fire it up and search for roguelikes and I'm going to play this one for 15 minutes and see if I like it. And that developer will get 15 minutes worth of dollars. Yeah. And, you know, whatever else. I feel like there's there's this default indie reaction that that we're supposed to have, which is like, oh, down with business trying to lock down our products. This is about creativity, not money making and whatever, right? But it's it's really... That's just the knee-jerk reaction, and that's the, like, pure starving artist creative kind of uh, reaction. And, like, it's only the few indie developers who can... They're in this spot of privilege where they really get to have that opinion, right? And I'm talking about, like, you know, the hobbyist, whatever. It doesn't... (laughs) It's not going to change. Well, it almost doesn't matter what you think if you're a hobbyist and about the business side, right? Because you're not trying to make a living. It doesn't matter to you. There's no meaning behind the 
money that you make with it, right? It's just kind of, it's a drop in the bucket. You can buy a new TV or something, right? It doesn't mean that you get evicted at the end of the month, right? It doesn't mean that you have to go find a job if if the money isn't there and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just saying that like when you want to take it seriously, when you either have a business or you're trying to make a business, these kinds of things uh, matter. And a lot of times those indie success stories, they come from someone who did the due diligence, right? Of like, yes, I made a game and yeah, it scratched some creative itch of mine, but I had to make it more accessible to reach a wider audience and I had to tap into like the iOS, you know, API and I had to jump through, you know, the app store hoops and I had to do a lot of marketing and things that aren't just purely creative and like, oh, here's my soul on a plate. It's like, you don't always get to do that kind of a thing, right? So sometimes the business stuff can can matter more than what I think drives a lot of us uh, independence, which is like the creative side, you know, like I want to make something that means something to me and and that kind of thing. But it's that's not all it is, right? Like, there's lots of different slices um, in this pie. Yeah. I like to think about it, though, you know, in the sense that the consumers drive, right? And mm-hmm. when consumers vote with their dollars, you know, that's going to be the deciding factor about whether or not this business model lives or dies. It's and true. I do think it is and going to end up being a piece of the puzzle. Because, like, we were just talking about with movies, right? Like... The movie studios, and I assume Spotify and those other places, I actually don't use Spotify enough to really understand the business model, but, you know, like we were just talking about, you know, like you can't watch the latest blockbuster on Netflix. Right. uh, It doesn't work that way. Right. They're like, no, this is too valuable for your subscription (laughs) service, which is, that's fine, right? And I think we'll see the same thing, right? Like, and and I guess that's kind of where the Indiepocalypse stuff kind of creeps in right because it's like okay well call of duty is going to be fine right blizzard's going to be fine they're not going to like you're not going to see you know call of duty modern warfare 17 i mean maybe well i don't know but you know they they have the ability to sell direct to consumers and command a premium right like the kind of games that you can still sell for 60 bucks right like a skyrim or something right um so i think that that won't really change At least in the the very short term to medium term, I, I would expect yeah. like there's always going to be premium products, and then there's always going to be you know commodity products, right? And so if your game falls into the latter category, uh, you you know it may end up being that the economics don't favor small games made by you know highly creative people, right? Um, you know, like just the same way that. You know, the music industry doesn't favor the indie songwriters, right? Like yeah. you make pennies on the dollar on on Spotify probably, and that might be the same thing for games. And as much as I wish that, you know, it were the reality that, you know, you could kind of guarantee that people that want to do cool creative stuff would get a livable wage. You know, sometimes it's just the economics don't support it, I guess. I mean, this gets into a really you know, broad topic of like, you know, how much responsibility does the government have to regulate industry and create <laughs> economic oh, opportunities? Geez. Oh, wow. The politics of it, the economy of it. I haven't really, you know, considered the higher level stuff. Well, it's like, you know, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is sort of like capitalism, right? Like let the market decide, mm-hmm. screw people that need a, a living wage, you know, if they, if their skill set is a commodity, but you know, like I said, without getting too much into the the politics of it, um, 
I do think that at a certain point you do have to kind of just accept the trends and play to them as best you can, right? Like adapt. Like it's, it's kind of like, you know, no one cried foul when record companies were losing their grip on selling us all 18, $19 CD packages. That's right. true. We we don't miss that world. Yeah, we don't miss that world. And I think that, you know, and, and the same thing happened, right? Like uh, with AAA games, right? Like no one cries that, you know, GameStop is going under because, you know, they can't sell $60 games in a resale store anymore. And yeah. so I don't think that anyone should really cry when, you know, indie game devs in their basement can't make a decent living on Steam anymore because, you know, there are too many games or their subscription models don't pay enough to support a decent salary. Like it's just the way it goes, I think. Yeah. I mean, we need to keep in mind how young of an industry the video game industry is, right? I mean, you, I mean we talked about this before, but you, you compare it to music, you compare it to movies, like, you know, some of these mediums have been around in humanity for, you know, millennia, right? Centuries. And then movies, certainly decades, TV shows, right? And video games are comparatively young. And although they are deeply ingrained in tech, and a lot of times games are the driver of moving technology forward and stuff, it's still sometimes they hang behind. Sometimes because they're so technologically advanced, right? Like you can't necessarily run the latest and greatest on your piece of crap computer, right? But right. if you have a TV, you can watch the latest and greatest movie if you can get access to it. There's no like, oh, your TV can't handle it, you know? Like only certain experiences, oh, you don't have 5.1 surround sound digital, whatever the crap, right? But like, I'm saying it's a different medium and it's going to have growing pains and it's going to be changing a lot and it's going to be affected by the other mediums too, right? Like that's one of the things, like jump Netflix for games, right? Like Netflix has taken a long time to get where it's at to be adopted and accepted. And Netflix has been changing in recent years too because um, traditionally, like the way Netflix gained ground was hey, here's some of your favorite movies and you can stream them whenever you want. You just pay a flat fee and you don't have to worry about like per movie crap, right? But the way that Netflix wants to move forward is, um, I was reading about this in Entertainment Weekly, which I've been reading since I was but a wee lad. Um, They want to be more of about 50% other people's content and 50% their own content. And they've been making strides, right? Like a lot of those Marvel shows like Daredevil, that's a Netflix exclusive. A lot of stand-up comedy. My wife and I love watching stand-up comedy. A lot of that is Netflix exclusive, right? It's paid for by Netflix. You can only get it on Netflix. And so they're not just a platform for the industry, like for whatever show in the world. Yeah, you can throw it up there. But they're also like, look, now that we have this money, we want to be, you know, supporting the arts, like uh, creating new content and locking it down to our content, which is interesting because, you know, if you are in the entertainment industry, you're a, you know, screenwriter or producer or whatever, this is great for you because, you know, Amazon doing the same thing, Hulu's doing the same thing, right? Like the Handmaid's Tale is a big hit right now. Uh, this is a new thing is what I'm saying that like these streaming services are also becoming the creators of the content. And that's something that, you know, pl- uh, platforms like Jump could do someday as well. Right. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I sort of have this feeling that I don't even understand the effect that something like Netflix has had on indie filmmaking, right? Yeah. And it would be interesting to look at that and see what has happened to the indie filmmaking in- industry as a result of subscription-based services and see if you could draw parallels. You know, it might not be doomsday. It could be, 
you know, maybe Netflix is actually a better discovery model for, you know, niche indie products, right? Because they have such a strong recommendation engine, you know, and they know what kind of things you might like, you know, they can surface up to you obscure things that you might not otherwise play. And, you know, that matters because, like I was saying earlier, uh, like, let's say there's a movie I'm kind of interested in or someone recommended to me and I never heard of it. And it's only for sale on a, on Amazon, right? Like 20 bucks. Like, nah. But if it's someone suggests a show to me, oh, it's on Netflix, I will try it out. Right? And that shows true with games, too. Right? Like, if someone's, hey, Matt, you should try out this game. You know, if it's a free-to-play game, like, that's how you got me into the HOTS. Right? Matt, yeah. try it out. It's free. Like, yeah, there's it's frictionless. Right, and I'm, I'll totally do that. I'll, I'll check out any free to play game because it's so easy to jump in. But the moment it's like check out this game, and I go and I look and like I don't know, Owlboy or something. It's like twenty five bucks. It's like, yeah, it's not gonna kill my bank account if I just buy it. But it's enough of like a bicycle lock where I'm like, oh. And, and then you get the whole there's there's so many variables, right? Like Steam. Uh, well, the summer sale is coming up. I bet that's gonna go fifty percent off in like two days. So I'll wait. And then you know, wait in three months because life happens and you just forget. My point being, though, that like if it's on a, a service like this, one of the advantages is it remove completely removes the friction of hey, that looks kind of neat, or someone recommended it, I should try it out. Then you just do it instead of thinking about all this crap. Instead of money entering your brain, it is it's it's not part of the equation, which is nice. Right? Yeah. Like I don't even think about money when I'm interacting with Netflix. Exactly. Like, it's a pure fantastic experience, right? Yeah. You know, just load it up, browse, pick what you want. It's like going to a buffet, right? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it is. You know, you pay one price and you're like, you know, you don't think about like, oh, well, I really want this filet mignon, but it's 26 bucks, blah, blah, blah. At a buffet, you're like, filet, sure, give me three. I'll probably eat one, <laughs> throw the rest away. Sweet. <laughs> and granted, it's like worse filet than you would get for $26, but. It's true. Sometimes that's that's what you want, you know, like. Again, I don't see this necessarily as being like the one way that people will consume games in the future, but I do think it will be right. a way. Yeah, I mean that's 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 kind of the whole point is that the the industry is changing, right? And there are probably still some games. Actually, okay, I know it's a uh, it's a bad example. Minecraft, though, right? <laughs> it was literally you go to Minecraft.net, and it wasn't like oh it's on Steam, or oh it's using Humble, or whatever. It was like go to a website. You can still do that. I know that seems weird to people who just use Steam for everything or just use Humble, you know, monthly and nothing else in the world or just like this is a common thing. Like this used to be my life is I've got a console and, you know, if it's on Super Nintendo, I will buy it. And if not, then I can't afford that system or I don't don't have access to it or whatever. Right. Yeah. The point being that like there's many different ways to game now. You can you could go to a website. You could use Steam. You could have a console. You could... A lot of people just play on their mobile phones, which is a whole different universe in and of itself, right? Like, um, freemium is like the dominant uh, method of monetization right now on mobile. You know, like the premium games are fighting an uphill battle, right? Like that paywall is killer. And a lot of reasons... There's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them being like we were talking about earlier, just like a mental like... Uh, I mean okay, new game came out, it's $3. Yeah, I get it. I yeah, I have $3. And I could just not have a coffee today. I understand. But at the same time, there's 20 freemium games that my friends have been telling me about. So I'll go for those first because it's just frictionless. And I don't, I don't even... I resent sometimes having to even think about money, right? Yeah. And yeah, they're just being multiple avenues with which to game. Makes perfect sense because you could... 
I mean, hell, you can game on your on your Kindle. You know, like there's almost infinite ways to game. So of course, there's going to be different ways to to monetize and whatever. Yeah, and actually, Amazon did something very similar to this. I think it was called Amazon Underground, <clears throat> as I recall. And the whole idea was that you could play games for free, and the developers, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> oh, the horse is returned. It's been a while. You know, I, I think I kind of missed the horse oh. a little bit. Welcome back, horse. Welcome back. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Amazon Underground, I think, is a service like that where you could put your game up there and it, people play for free and then you would get paid uh, like a percentage of how much time they spent, you know, how much money your game made in advertising, right? You get some percentage of that. So it's basically the same idea, right? I think that the reason that Amazon Underground wasn't as big as it could have been is because, you know... Amazon just doesn't have a chokehold on that market the way that Google and Apple do because they're their platform owners, right? Like, and that's why they really were the reasons they pushed the Kindle and, and their other devices so hard, right? Is because the default app store is like their Amazon thing where they can do stuff like Amazon Underground. Full disclosure, I I must have heard about this at some point, right? I'm always, whenever something big like this, like like I mentioned, I've been an Amazon Prime subscriber for years and I make it my business to be up to date on game development, right? I've got a freaking podcast, right? <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, I try my best to know about this stuff, but I don't think that was in my head. Like it sounds familiar, but if you were to ask me, hey Matt, what's Amazon Underground? I would have been like, I don't know. So I looked it up and it's very interesting. Uh, it actually uses Amazon coins. That thing where like, oh, a hundred coins equals one dollar. Yeah, you know, like um, uh, Microsoft was doing that when uh, Xbox Live was on 360. I don't think Xbox is doing that anymore. But they did that crap too, where they uh, they screw with your head and they're like, oh, eighty points equals a dollar. Yeah, I right? hate that. <clears throat> I hate that too. Like this one's actually interesting. The Amazon coins. Like I still don't. I love I know we talked about this before but it enrages me that like you look at the number 800 right and your yeah. brain sees $8 but it's really yes. $10 and it's like yeah uh, and that like that's when you do shady, the math yeah well you're like you realize as a human being that can do simple math you're like oh so Microsoft is really just trying to get what what other reason possibly is there right it's like the difference between uh the metric system and and American garbage right oh five thousand two hundred and eighty feet in a mile like that's that's stupid like people mentally can easily do like okay a hundred pennies in a dollar i got this right Right. oh but 80 points it's like the Uh, only reason you would do that is to obscure the true cost of exactly yeah that's exactly right i hate that anyway interesting so amazon underground i guess this is still a thing but i guess they're not promoting it heavily it's kind of what you know amazon does a lot of stuff i think there was one yeah, of their like you know they they were making a lot of investments in their platform right like they want you to buy a kindle or an amazon fire thing and then have the amazon fire stick on your tv <laughs> and then you stream all your music through the amazon echo into your living room and like blah 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 yeah so man it, it's funny um my wife was talking about how like when because we used to go to target or wherever for our you know daily needs like you know paper towels and eggs or this stuff you, yeah i mean we started doing um there's there's not just amazon prime there's a subscription service i forget what you call it right subscribe and save that's we, how they get you we right? subscribe to cat litter 
Yeah, yeah, you, you get it delivered at your door because yeah. you're gonna need like your cats, you know, are pretty uh, regular, <laughs> so you can kind of do the math and be like, okay, I need this much litter, and if I don't have it, then um, I'm gonna have a real big problem, yes. right? Yeah, real big. <laughs> and that's not a problem that you want. <laughs> but uh, and it's heavy, so it's like the perfect thing. It just shows up on the doorstep, like this, you know, two forty yeah. pound boxes of litter. That's great. No, we're old. We're old men now. We can't. We can't carry. 30 pounds of cat litter no it's way too much but what she was saying was she was like you know the moment we did that switch where we started like you know massively increasing our spending on amazon we should have bought some amazon stock mm. right yeah. because they are such a massive massive company and sometimes i'm shocked to see that they that they do something right where i'm like whoa like when okay amazon bought whole foods like not a shock right but but like whoa like they do groceries they're most they start off as books yeah they do video games yeah they sell you can find a literal tank on amazon right (laughs) like they sell everything this is a company that there's almost nothing they don't do you know right i think it's amazing it's kind of crazy anyway amazon tangent (laughs) no amazon's great i mean this is sort of to kind of tie it back to like the indie apocalypse talk that indie apocalypse, you, know, you know, like it's real, it's real, y'all. People are afraid <laughs> that, like, you know, I, I think I saw some tweets to the effect of like, you know, you know, once someone's successful with this monetization model of subscription, then like, you know, it's the end of the line for indies or something, right? And it's like maybe, <laughs> but well, also maybe not, right? Like, no, it's not. Again, I think it's going to be a piece of the puzzle, not the entire I mean, puzzle. that would have been, like, Steam has won, right? And But there's still services like this popping up, you know? So it's not to say, like, oh, game, game over, man, right? Like, Steam Steam did it, 100 million users, right? Like, Steam, Steam has won, so no one else can succeed on desktop gaming. That's not true, you know? Itch is gaining grounds. Uh, good old gaming seems to be doing just fine. Humble subscription, I don't know a ton about it i haven't do it myself but i've heard it's doing well yeah you know like there's it, it's a big pie um the games industry makes multiple billions of dollars every year and it's only increasing so there's there's lots of room for you know others to survive as well yeah you know i will acknowledge though that like from a selfish perspective you know i i do wish that you know the race to the bottom weren't a thing right we've often you know bemoaned how you know people will pay four and a half dollars for a coffee they finish in 15 minutes but they won't spend you know eight or nine bucks on an indie game or whatever Mm -hmm. um and so from a selfish perspective obviously like the race to the bottom sucks because like who doesn't want to make more money for less work right (laughs) i mean yeah it's a no-brainer but you know, I think that if you look at it from a consumer perspective, right, like how do you like to consume media as a consumer? Like I like the Netflix model. Honestly, I do. I mean, for movies and for music, like I, I'm never, I'm never going to go back to buying a single album or, or even maybe yeah. a single song ever again. And yeah. I might trend that way with movies too. Like I'm still at the point now where I'm like, yeah, every once in a while I buy a movie, right? Uh, or like when I say buy, what I really mean is like either digitally rent or digitally purchase. Right. Um, but that's like few and far between at this point. Yeah. Like I, I look over here to my left and I see 
the remains of my collection of video games, which is still pretty substantial, but it has been whittled down significantly. Like every time I move, I've lived like six different cities in California alone. And every time I move, I get rid of a portion of my game collection, you know? Yeah. But I have almost zero interest of adding to it. And especially, like, new games. You know, like, here's a, here's a new game, Matt. Meh. I, I'd rather have that just on the hard drive of my Xbox or something. Like, just stick it in my Steam account. I don't care. You know, I don't want it to sit on my shelf. It's like, I, I see a lot of value. In fact, as we move forward through time, you know, I'm looking at my Mint Inbox version of Fantasy Star for Sega Master System. That's worth a lot now, and it'll be worth way more as the decades come, right? Right. But that's the thing, is like, I feel like just because it's a relic of the past, you know, and I, I really right. see a future where in 10 years, there's there'd be no reason for you to own a hard copy. Like, there'll still be a small niche market for, hey, we got this cute little printed thing, and it's printed in the style of Nintendo. It looks like a Nintendo cartridge, and there will be a small number of people who will always appreciate that. But in general, people are going to be like, why would I want this garbage? Yeah. <laughs> this piece of plastic I have to lug around with me, you know, sit it on a shelf and display it, whatever. Like, it can just exist on my computer and not take up any of my limited space, you know? Right. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, like, the nostalgia stuff is like, it doesn't have any intrinsic value, right? Like, it's just plastic and... It's subjective and it's relative. Like some people would be like, what is this? Like like literally, because that's where I used to find this stuff was at pawn shops. Some people were like, I found this garbage. It's this plastic game case. I don't even know what this is. What is, what is Sega? Right? Like some people (laughs) don't care. And to some of us, it's like, oh, like, you know, one, one man's trash is another person's treasure. Like that kind of thing. To me, it's like, oh, wow. I really want these select games but they're just because i played them when i was a kid and they had a big impact on me when i was growing up but for somebody else like i mean jeff do you want a copy of dungeons and dragons warriors of the eternal sun for sega genesis nope i like you couldn't <laughs> pry it out of my cold dead hands but someone else is gonna be like i look this this is literal garbage to me and i just need to find a trash can <laughs> <laughs> painful yeah. as that is it's true um so one last thing i will say about jump before we stop talking about this whole subscription thing (laughs) is that I do actually find the sort of core use case pretty nice, right? Which is that like you can download, install the app and then you get hit with like, here's games and you press play and it just loads right there in the window. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, a game like AWL loads in like three seconds because it's small. It's like 20 megabytes of, everything the whole game is like 20 megs right super optimized well i wouldn't know about that it's just crappy and small (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) playing it down but uh that's uh, that's very deprecast it is appropriate but like the experience compared to steam even like even a game that's on my local hard drive you know sometimes i get that like you know steam is like launching this game now right And, and it also has its own loading bar oftentimes right like it's like steam's like i'm getting ready to launch your game and then it launches it and then the game's like i'm getting ready to launch other parts of myself hold on yeah (laughs) yeah the the always online thing i think is something that um some people will take issue with but you know there's always the option for offline play like you know html5 has had that in the spec forever jump could easily have that where it just actually like physically download stuff into the client kind of like steam does you know And, and these days too like uh always on is is a thing that just is true 
for our house. You know, yeah. we have two Google Wi-Fi routers that mesh together. We have excellent internet all the time. I think uh, it was Andrea looking recently. She, I think we have 12 devices that are on our Wi-Fi in a given moment. Yeah. <laughs> and we could probably increase that with various devices in boxes or that were just powered off for whatever reason, you know, but between TVs and phones and laptops and computers, like, oh, we don't have internet right now. It's like, you know, we have the luxury of, of yeah, we do all the time and it's broadband and it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> so like, you know, anytime I want to watch something or, or play something that needs an online connection, it's, it hasn't been an issue in a while. So it's, you know, I don't worry about that. Yeah. Personally. Man, it's funny to think about, right? Like I, at one point, I think I had two TVs with Chromecasts that were connected yep. to the Wi-Fi, the Amazon Echo. Obviously, Melissa and I both have a cell phone. We both have a desktop computer. I also yep. have a laptop computer. And I also yep. have about, I don't even know, half a dozen. Oh, dev- like devices like Androids and Yeah, Androids and iOS things oh, yeah, for testing. Gotta... <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah, there's there's so much. And, and they're always on, and it's fine. Oh, plus the Wii, plus the Steam Link, plus oh, the yeah. Xbox. Yep. Wow. We have an Apple TV. We just bought an Echo as part of Prime Day. Like we're only increasing our our connected devices. Yeah. I stopped using the Echo. I don't know if I said that on the the podcast before, but... Oh. Was it because it kept adding uh, obscure items to your grocery list? Well, it was that. (laughs) Okay, Jeff, we've added Matt to your grocery list. Like, what? No, I was saying... Yeah. (laughs) Alexa, kill Matt. (laughs) I feel like I used it very minimally, right? The Mm. core use case was playing music throughout the house which was pretty nice to be able to say you know like you know amazon play you know blah 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 and then you would just have music in the house like it's fantastic right uh the other big use case was like i'm cooking and i'm like you know amazon set a timer for 15 minutes no nice that was great but i feel like those both of those use cases are not strong enough to justify uh amazon recording and uploading everything that is said in my household to <laughs> their servers <laughs> like so it's kind of a privacy issue for you it is and i mean obviously like you know i know you can't get away from being tracked in a lot of ways but you know if i'm going to have an always on microphone in my house i feel like i need to be getting more value out of it than that i hear you you know what i mean yeah yeah i respect that yeah because it's like it's a trade-off and for me right now the upside of the echo doesn't justify the fact that you know i'll never be a senator because of some of the things that (laughs) amazon has recorded me saying (laughs) (laughs) oh you poor thing that ship has sailed oh your your lifelong dreams crushed yeah we i think wanted to get one because um my brother gave us an xbox one and cortana is set up and we were trying this where we were like hey cortana you know it's kind of fun to try to trip it up and it actually does um most of the stuff that you want it to it's it's pretty good and we were using it enough where we were like oh i guess it'd be kind of cool and, and uh this will happen too is i'll be cooking and i'll be like hey Anne, will you add you know soy sauce to the grocery list because i just use the last of it while cooking and she's like i'm not your secretary and i'm like shut up and then she threw no i'm kidding <laughs> but the point being that like i could be like instead of you know asking her to do that i could be like i could ask a robot a friendly robot you could <laughs> that was the other thing so, so one of the other big selling points about the echo was like the grocery list thing but yeah i never found like so the entry point is fantastic right like getting things into amazon's shopping list is, is easy but 
figuring out what's on the list <clears throat> and taking like things getting, off the list is not as easy. Yeah, I see. I like, want to hook it up to a sauna because that's where my grocery list is. Uh, apparently, you can make like a echo task or job or yeah. skill. Alexa skill, yeah. I think is what it's called. I'm interested in that. And that's what I use for like LDG tracking. Like, that's what we use for all the LDG stuff, you know. I've been using Asana for a long time. Yeah. That's kind of nice. So anyways, 45 minutes in and oh, we had other right. things we were going to talk about. <laughs> supposedly. Right, let's jump in. Uh, this is a question from a while ago. This is from Phil English. Uh, I was wondering if you guys had ever considered the impact of the theme of your games in determining their success. Uh, and he expands upon that. Have you ever thought about what you might retheme any of your games for any particular reason, be it for a better fit in the market or because you thought it would suit it? And that's interesting. Um, because I think a lot of indies are going to kind of like for us, it was look, Medieval fantasy is our bread and butter. We like, we have that in common. You know, like we both play sci-fi games. We both play all kinds of games, right? But when it comes right down to it, you could look at our playing history and indeed just ask us our preferences and we'd probably both be like, well, Medieval fantasy is my favorite. Swords right? and dragons. Yeah, I want a sword and I want a dragon. And if you could throw a crossbow and a goblin in there, that'd be great. And then we're happy, right? But like... And in science fiction, I'm not going to complain unless it's in my Zelda or something, right? <laughs> get, get this iPad out of my Zelda. <laughs> Why is there an iPad in my Zelda? <laughs> but the point being, um, theme can matter a lot. And I think that with indies, you know, you want to make what you care about. You want to you want to speak from your insides, right? You want to be like, this is what matters to me. You just like cut yourself open and dump it onto a plate and be like, Bleh, and you die. And you're like, there it is. <laughs> morbid <laughs> might, might be a little yeah might be a little too gruesome but the point being that you're not going to be like um my passion has always been to make something i don't care about like sci-fi if that's not my thing that's just stupid so the reason to go outside of your theme might be something for like like a market fit or you might be um man i've noticed that you know there's a like castle crashers or or, or something like there's no there's no X for Y. Yeah, there's no X for Y. And as we've talked in the podcast before, like that can be really smart sometimes. And with a small tweak, you know, that's all that's needed sometimes. Like I, I think I've said before on the podcast, I think I, like, I see room for a medieval fantasy FTL. You know, if someone yeah. it doesn't really, if you don't want to make your own game, just clone the hell out of FTL and wrap a mid fan theme on it, put a bow on it, don't look in the mirror and ship it. Don't look in the mirror. <laughs> Like, I wouldn't do that. I don't uh, really recommend that. But my point being that, like, I do think... Because, I mean... It's sort of an I extreme probably, example, but I... It, yeah, yeah. Like, I've played FTL, and it's not really my cup of tea. Like, cause I don't really like... I don't care about spaceship battles, and I don't care about fuel so much. Like, I'll, I'll play it a, a little bit. But if it was like, you know, if I'm worrying about swords and arrows, and there's a dragon coming at us, if it's I'd like be a lot more on board, right? You had to shovel coal into the siege engine, <laughs> right? You'd yeah. be like, yeah, shovel that coal in the siege engine yeah fire the cannonballs yes yeah see i'm already yeah. more excited right? <laughs> right and instead of faster than light if it was called like you know as slow as a airship <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think i think we're on to a winner here yeah we're yeah exactly but yeah so that's what i'm saying is um i think there's lots of opportunities and if you are coming at your game from the perspective of you know i don't care about theme or i don't care about um, how I marry the mechanics to this or that, then I think it makes a lot of sense for you to look, be like, um, you know, I want to go with sci-fi or I'm going to go with whatever I think would perform best in the market. Like I see 
value in doing that if that's your thing. It's not what I'm going to do because I just want to make medieval fantasy games for the most part. Yeah. Oh, I think but I may that change my tune later. Most good content, you know, kind of marries the theme well. And, and the theme I think is very important for market targeting, right? Yeah. Like it's probably one of the first things that your players encounter, right? Right. Is just the broad themes of your game. Like, are there zombies? Like, is it survival? Is it medieval fantasy? Is it sci-fi? Is it a crafting game? Like what, you know, right. What's going on? And, um, you know, it's something you have to consider. And a lot of times I've been thinking about, you know, designing games from a experience perspective. And the theme is like, you know, a big portion of that. Like what experience are you selling the player? Right. What are they feeling? What, you know, fantasy are they living out? Right. Whether it's, you know, I'm Captain Picard of the USS Enterprise. <laughs> or and That's going to make all the whatever. difference to some people, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, because some people are just like, look, I don't want to be a, you know, a barbarian. That just doesn't interest me. Like, I want to move forward in time when I escape my reality. You know, like, I want lasers. I want, like, a utopian future or something. And, like, some people, too, like, they probably, I think a lot of people would define the kind of games they play based on, you know, oh, I love turn-based tactics games and that's it. And inside of that, I really don't care much about theme or they might. Right. But other people might be like, look, I like, um, you know, modern warfare games. And that might mean Call of Duty or that might mean uh, really <laughs> showing my limited knowledge. here. You know what I'm saying, though? Like they might not care what kind of game it is. It could be an infinite runner as long as I've got like a machine gun in my hands. Right. Right. Or it, it could be turn based tactics. Sure. Or it could be a first person real time shooter. Like they might not care as long as they're in the right headspace, which would mean like I want a helmet on. I want to be wearing camouflage. I want grenades in my belt. You know, and and for me, it would be like, I want a wand or a sword. I want a, a dragon in front of me. I want, you know, spell components in a magical pouch, right? Right. And, and that can make all the difference in the world to, to some people. Well, it's really about, like, what experiences you seek out, right? Like, when I was a kid, I had sci-fi Legos and I had medieval fantasy Legos. And, you know, by and large, I always went to the medieval fantasy Legos just because, mm-hmm. you know, that was the escape experience that I really enjoyed. I want to see a pair of wings on something. <laughs> if I don't see wings, I'm like, no, well, I don't know. I, I need a bat or like but, a wyvern. Like I can't do modern stuff. It's funny, actually. Like I like the Lego analogy because, you know, back in those days, there was still, like, there was also like the modern Lego sets, right? Where it's like, you know, here's a dump truck and, you know, here's a police Ugh. officer. And I was like, boring. No. Yeah. So boring. Like I can, I can go look at a cop. <laughs> Right. Yeah. If I want to. <laughs> and so like I feel the same way about like modern themed games. Like anytime there's like, you know, anything called modern warfare, I'm like, no. So interesting question. I think that uh, we probably would have reskinned uh at least a wizard's lizard. Like, we talked about it, like making a kind of a sci-fi game, right? Like you know, you've got a laser gun and there's alien thingies, you know, because one of my favorite games is Super Metroid. And the thing I like, it, yes, it's very sci-fi, but it also has like medieval fantasy feels to it, you know? I think... Like you feel like a wizard. Right. Yeah. I think that's, you know, the blending of genres is is important too, right? Like yeah. Final Fantasy does a fantastic job. Like that is the ratio that I, I really enjoy. Right. right. Where it's like, it's mostly medieval fantasy, but hey, here's like some mech suits. And laser beams. Right. right. It's like, whoa. 
It's like, a fusion. It's it's like you know Asian fusion, right? Yeah. You mix like a oh, it's a lasagna, but Asian style, or like you know uh, Asian tacos, or getting food now. I uh, I think I had a Korean barbecue burrito. Remember in Mountain View, there was that food yes. truck. Yes. It's like bulgogi burrito. Oh, oh yeah. Anyways, fantastic. Um, what? Oh. <laughs> I guess that was here in San Diego. For some reason, I thought it was in Mountain View. Yeah, it's probably. Oh, well, there was a, a Korean place we went to a lot in Castro Street. That's true. <laughs> Melissa was yelling at me across the house, <laughs> telling me how wrong I was. Oh yeah, of course. Well, that's necessary it to is. Lost Cast. <laughs> You're wrong. Yeah, but the point being that uh, you know it doesn't have to be like pure medieval fantasy. I think you and I both like um, low fantasy, like I dark, do. grisly, yeah, yeah. gothic. Yeah, and like sci-fi, like like as I mentioned, like sci-fi is not my default go-to, but I love aliens. I love alien. I think Predator is really cool. Like I mentioned, Metroid is one of my absolute favorite gaming franchises. You know, like um, I think Fusion is really good mixing stuff up. Uh, but yeah, we have thought about before, and we would probably do like we we had a game we were talking about for a long time. It was called like our our code name was just like Airlock. But it was something mm-hmm. like it was kind of gothic. It was kind of dark, and it was very like you're you're on a foreign alien planet, and like monster creatures want to eat you, and you're low on air, and uh, you know it's hard. It was like but sci-fi was like, survival was, horror kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, think think Dead Space, but two D and not as scary, and maybe turn based or so. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, well, we we had a game we actively were were wanting to work on that was outside of our you know bread and butter yeah i think that even with some of our other games that are more medieval fantasy based <clears throat> i would have liked to see them be a little bit more focused and unique you know i think that yeah, we absolutely. tended to go into this like very generic medieval fantasy direction or it's yeah. like yeah goblins like you know we didn't create our own unique universe with its own unique voice and appeal i i completely agree and these days when i see almost anything with the glut of content that we have the the oversaturation of everything if i see something that's kind of generic you know uh, it's a game and it's you know got roguelike elements and you are an archer and there's goblins like i'm i'm kind of disinterested anymore right and that's just me as like a as a consumer of content i will probably play a lot more games like that in my life right and i will get excited about like i don't know like elder scrolls honestly i can't wait to play the next one and it's kind of just generic medieval fantasy right so i'm okay with that in in some context but like me as a creative person like i hope to make another game you know on my own or with you at some point in the future but i want it to be kind kind of bonkers i don't want it to be like um a wizard's lizard hey you, you know you play as a lizard that's a little unconventional and the rest is like generic medieval fantasy everywhere right everything that you would expect to see yes there's goblins yes there's demons yes there's wizards like yeah skeletons okay i want to be like i'm not even kidding i'm not kidding i want it to be like medieval fantasy but you're fighting against cheeseburger monsters <laughs> you think i'm kidding i'm not kidding um. cheeseburgers are attacking you weird i want to see weird right and like that that's a bad example because it's a really stupid idea (laughs) it's really dumb it's really dumb but what i mean is like that is my point exactly i want it to be something where you describe it to someone and they don't just go "Mm -hmm." and they picture in their head like okay it sounds like diablo right right 
oh, that sounds like, you know, a, a, a hundred games I've played. Like, it, I, I forget. The moment I stop talking to you, I don't remember what you were talking about. But if I was like, oh, yeah, it's this really cool game. Uh, you're a barbarian fighting giant cheeseburgers. You will remember that, right? And that's what's more important to me these days is like something kind of weird, something no one else is making, at least in some way, even if it's just theme, right? Like you could replace the cheeseburgers with goblins and be like, you're a barbarian fighting goblins. And that's great. That's fine with some people, right? I don't want to make stuff like that anymore. Yeah. Um, I think it just kind of speaks to like the commoditization, right? To kind of bring it all back, the commoditization of games means that you have to do more to stand out. Exactly. Like the bar is higher for everybody. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I'm not just like, I get that. And I agree with that. And I'm not just coming at it from that angle. It's also like, I'm bored with the things that I make. You know, I'll draw a goblin, another freaking goblin. Like, here's another lizard character. Like, ugh, I've seen it before, you know? I'm, I'm in my 30s. I've played a lot of games. I've watched a lot of TV. I've seen a lot of movies. I've, I've been to medieval times, you know? Like, <laughs> I want something that is going to be weird to me, like kind of shocking and, and strange and like, what is happening? I think, <laughs> you like, know? what I want these days out of entertainment is something like, <clears throat> like Harry Potter, for example, like it's got a focus theme and it's executed well, but it has this really unique universe, right? Mm. With its own personality and stuff. Like that's kind of what I'm looking for from my own perspective. Like that's the kind of thing I would like to build, right? Not necessarily like a very story heavy game, but you know, a universe with a voice, right? Right. As opposed to, here's a game with a bunch of haphazard stuff like uh there's this board game that most and i have been playing that she bought for us um it's called claustrophobia mm. it's like a two-player dungeon crawling game um and it's got this very like it's not just generic medieval fantasy it's like you're sort of like a holy paladin type character called the redeemer and you're fighting like demons coming from the pits and like mm. that's sort of generic in itself but it's also very focused, right? It doesn't try to be like, oh, here's your dwarf warrior and your elven ranger and your, you know, whatever mage. It's got this like, I feel like it's a stronger theme because it's more limited, right? Right. It's not just like, well, here's some Tolkien-esque crap thrown onto a table. Yeah. It's like, no, you're like, it is definitely more of like the Diablo, right? It's like, oh, you're a low fantasy you know, holy warrior descending into the depths of hell. But I feel like that's a stronger narrative than like, hey, you exist in a world that has magic and dragons and some stuff happens. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. It's just I need more than that these days, you know? Like, yeah. I'm, no, I'm no longer excited about Gauntlet because Gauntlet is as generic as you can get. When it was groundbreaking, it was awesome. It was It was everything that you would want it to be in the 80s when I first experienced it, you know? It was amazing. Whoa, a barbarian. I can't believe there's a wizard. The archer is so fast. What an elf. It's amazing. Uh, you and know, like, like something you, new. Have you seen Gauntlet now? Like, I think they re-released it. And it was one of those things where, like, I think I either took a look at it or I played a demo or something. And I was just like, there's nothing there, you know? Like, it's completely riding on nostalgia. Maybe it was just bad execution or something. Or maybe it just hit, didn't hit me in the right spot at the right time. But, like, I feel like what you're saying is more accurate, right? It was that like gauntlet as a theme was perfectly acceptable in 1980, right? 
Right. But like those thematics now are just kind of like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like we get it. You got yeah. your, your red barbarian and your, your green ranger and like, yeah, we get so, it. So uh, this is a pretty good segue into, um, probably the last topic we'll talk about this episode. And also uh, the last question in our queue, this is a long time coming. Um, this is from Andre. And uh, this is related to, like, so we talk about Ryan Clark sometimes, a creator of, um, a developer of uh, Crypto the Necrodancer, which is a weird game, right? And does have a good strange attractor. Like, you're not going to explain that game to, to anyone, at least right now. Like, the you know, the times they are changing. Like, 10 years from now, it could be like, oh, yeah, you trip over roguelike rhythm games, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, like, it is, it does seem like it's pretty generic medieval fantasy in its theme, but what makes it really strange is the marriage of the, the rhythm with the roguelike elements, which is a really good blend, too, right? It's like chocolate and peanut butter. It just works for some people. Like, I'm not really big in the rhythm games f- for me, but that's just saying, like, you know, I don't like, you know, hazelnut or something, right? It's just not my particular taste, but it's proven, right? Like, it's a hit game. It is a good recipe um but the point being that like um ryan on uh clark tank ryan clark uh i'll put a link to that in the show notes it's it's worth checking out if you're interested in this kind of a thing so andre's question is do you think that there's a value in analyzing successes and failures of other games or maybe developers should just accept the fact that we're making art and it's impossible to predict what will resonate with big amounts of people right and ryan is a big advocate like every friday uh, on clark tank he goes through the steam top 50 and that kind of changes what he covers like he used to cover um new games on kickstarter and stuff right but it's very revealing seeing um like an expert indie developer going through and i, I think about this a lot and i've talked about it on the on the podcast before but he was watching like i think it was like a kickstarter video and it was like, oh, look at all these impressive veterans from probably Blizzard or wherever, and they're such good artists, and they're really good programmers, and they know what they're doing, and they're making a game, and here's them drawing, and here's them programming, and here's one of them talking, and he's watching the video, it's like a minute or maybe three, and he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, Diablo, okay, so it's Diablo, all right, he's, he's like waiting, he's, he wants it, he's, he's like, he needs it, right, something other than just, here's the meat and potatoes you've been eating since you were five years old, right, and at the end, it was just like, and that's why you should back us or buy it or play it on early access or whatever is because reasons, because we, because we care and, and, and we, we know what we're doing. And that's like, it's not enough. There's, there's so many teams doing that kind of thing. Right. right. Um, so the strange attractor comes, I'll put a link to the episode where we talked about strange attractors, strange. I think attractor. that, you know, it depends on what product you're trying to sell, right? Like they may have analyzed their assets and been like, okay, well, the strongest branding we have is our, you know, developer pedigree, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they chose to focus on that in the video. Uh, you know, maybe they were like, I mean, I guess at that point you shouldn't go to Kickstarter with a weak game, but, you know, I think that it's a hard it's a hard call to make when you're talking about marketing a game, you know, because there is an avenue where star powder matters star power matters yes <laughs> star powder you gotta get you gotta powder those stars <laughs> that's right grind them up <laughs> stardust yes. stardust yeah so like it, it kind of feels like we're talking about two different things here but but they're kind of one and the same right because um so so ryan clark's the one who says you need a strange attractor in your game there's actually there's an article too i'll link to that as well an article on gama sutra which is really important to read um but ryan is one of these developers who because think about it, you're placing a big bet, you know, like an indie game worth its salt is going to take years to make, 
right? Unless you're some kind of magical genius and you came up with a simple, brilliant idea and you can really execute on it and you can just crank it out in six months or something. You're talking about years of your life. This is a considerable investment of time, energy, emotion, mental anguish. And, and we, are we all, we are all human beings. We live in, in space time. We don't have infinite time, right? Like three years, if that's how long it's going to take to make your game, that's a, that's a chunk. That's an investment. That's worth looking at the market. That's, a, that's at least worth looking around and, and, and taking a, a guess, right? Like uh, Ryan will say on his show, it's very hand wavy. He'll come up with these spreadsheets. He'll look at Steam Spy. He'll look at um, sales. He'll look at reviews. He, he uses all the data points at your disposal. But he says it's, it's always hand wavy because it's true, right? The, even if the stars align and your spreadsheets look perfect and you're like, well, based on the data that I've studied for the last several weeks, this game couldn't possibly be anything but a big hit. Even then, is it not guaranteed, right? So it is all very hand-wavy, but I think it's worth doing. I definitely see that, that there's a value in analyzing the successes and failures of other games. But you've got to balance that, right? With like, okay, let's say you are indie, and maybe it is a hobby, or maybe you want it to be your business. Either way, you still want to make art. You don't want to just be like, I'm making this game because I think it will perform well in the market. Like, if that's true, you know, go work for a AAA studio somewhere, Part of you is probably like, I am independent. I, I have a voice. I want to say something that only I can say. You know, so you got to balance that between what will actually make its money back and and what it is that will satisfy you creatively. I don't think though that you have to couple independent game developers with people who want to make art, because that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, white label indie developers, right? Like the whole HTML5 gaming craze, selling white label games to portals. I feel like was largely fueled by indie game developers who were, you know, making games as a business. And, and maybe they enjoyed some of the games they worked on, you know, but I mean, especially the kinds of games that were popular at that point, you know, right. like pet simulators and, you know, just kind of really simple arcade games. Like you're not really expressing your creative voice. You're kind of doing it as a business. And that was kind of the way we approached the white label contract stuff too. Right. It was like, you know, can we make a living as indie game developers, you know, selling for like basically selling to the market, right? What does the market want? The market wants, you know, small time waster type games that run on mobile. Yeah. So I don't think that those two things are odds. I think it comes down to a lot of the same advice that we give in sort of different situations, which is if you're predominantly approaching your games as a creative endeavor, and you don't care as much about the money, then absolutely don't listen to it. You know, right? Make your art, do yeah. what you need to do. You know, if you make money, great. If you don't, great. You know, if you're fine with that proposition, then I think that's, you know, not something you should pay attention to. But if you're interested in, like you're talking about, recouping your investment, the time that you spent making the game at least, or making it into a long-term sustainable thing that you can do, you know, you should absolutely look at the market and do market research, right? It's, you know, it's sort of like hedging your bets in a way, right? It's like, right. instead of just hoping that you land a hit and get lucky, you're trying to prepare yourself for success, right? We kind of talk about the cliche sometimes of, you know, what is it? You know, success is like 90% preparation, 10% luck, or I don't know, whatever it is. Probably 90% luck, 10% preparation. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I forget the ratios, but the point is, is like you got to be in the right place at the right time, but you've also have had to kind of 
put yourself in a position to capitalize on that luck. Right. Right. And so I think that's sort of what, you know, analyzing the market does for you. I do think those things are at odds, but I think, um, you know, partially what you're saying and what I definitely agree with is that they don't have to be right. But I think in general, a lot of developers, especially indies will approach the problem of like, look, I've got this passion project I want to work on and, it, and I don't want anything to disrupt my vision, right? Like my creative vision cannot be tainted. And you might look at the market and be like, oh, there's already a hundred games like this, or I can see that other games that were really well made that are similar where markets flops, that kind of a thing. And I think that it's important to like either tweak your idea or, you know, a lot of us, we have like right now there's like six games I want to make, you know, like the odds of me making them all are like nominal, right? Right. <laughs> like it's probably not going to happen. So what you can do is you can, you can nudge yourself in a direction. Like you can pick and choose. You can analyze all of them, like compare them to the market and, and take a hand wavy guess at how it will perform and be like, Oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm still pretty excited about this one. It's not the number one project that I want to work on but I think that it has the best chance of being successful in two years when I think it'll be done. Right. Right. And like you, like you're saying, like hedge your bets, right? Like I think that those two things are inherently at odds. Like the, the wanting to create yourself expressively, uh, express yourself creatively versus the hope that it'll perform well in the market. I think those two do clash, but they, they can harmonize. And when they do, you get something like crypto, the necro dancer. Right. And there's also, you know, the odd, like, here's a complete mismatch in terms of market fit, but did fantastically because it was new and different. And, you know, people broke out of the mold. They didn't take conventional wisdom and they made something from the heart and it resonated with people. And, you know, it's a smashing success. So, I mean, right. We don't know anything, basically. Yeah, that's the thing. We can take educated guesses and even our, our, like, it's hand wavy at best. So it is kind of true, like at the end here, the question, is it impossible to predict what will resonate with a big amount of people? Yes. (laughs) But I think that information is still useful. Like, you don't have to act on it. You just need to consider it, right? I think that if you want to make games as a business and you care about making money at all, you should at least pay attention to the high level trends and what the market is doing you know and it it could be like not to taint your creative vision but something more along the lines of like you know where do the people for this kind of a game exist are they buying on steam you know you can look at the numbers and say oh the audience for this kind of game on steam is actually not big but it's big somewhere else or you know not i mean who knows right like using the data to find the audience for your you know creative masterpiece is still I think a valuable thing. I think if nothing else, the data can tell you what will not be successful, which also has a lot of value, right? It's not like, as we said, like it is impossible to predict, right? Like there's no way to be like, look, we made this game and unless you're blizzard or something like it's, it's going to be a huge hit or we have a billion dollars in marketing, you know, you're taking an educated guess and you can't know for sure which, what's going to take off and what isn't. Certainly, there have been many, many games made that were just like, whoa, that is a good-ass game. And it was a big flop. You see the same thing with movies and TV shows and whatever, right? Yeah. Like, like critic, critically praised and its ratings were garbage. Like, you see that? That's a common story, right? But what you can do is, is, is look at the data and be like, well, I can tell you for sure that's going to flop because you look at the data, right? You can be like, okay, there were, you know, three games like that launched this month and they are 
good. Like I, I looked at them, the reviews are solid. They gain no traction, right? right. It can kind of tell you what not to do, which is a frustrating place to get into when you're searching for direction, which is what we're talking about here. Like, right, what should I build? What's going to be successful? Like, what, what should I invest my time and energy on for the next couple of years, right? And it can be frustrating to get there and be like, I don't know what the answer is, but it does help you to know what the answer is not. Don't make that or don't don't follow this. Don't do a slow follow behind the same project that was not successful, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely like, here's some warning signs. Like you right, see, like a you, red flag. You see yeah. a car in a ditch overturned and you're like, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> drive into that ditch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. Uh, you drive past a wreck and you're like, maybe I should slow down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, who really knows, right? Like a lot of prominent indie developers who are very successful have said, you know. They don't know. They don't know. And, you know, any attempts to replicate their success just, you know, yeah. aren't happening. And so, you know, one way to look at that question, which I think is what Andre is getting at, is like, you know, maybe, you know, you should just shut out the noise, right? Like, <clears throat> is it actually useful or is it just cramming your head full of, you know, seemingly helpful information that doesn't really help? Exactly. So yeah. I think that it's like anything else, right? Like, it's like when you're looking for information about a programming problem on Stack Overflow or you're looking for news, right? And you're trying to figure out what really happened with somebody's emails, right? Like you mm -hmm. have to take everything you read with a grain of salt. But that yeah. doesn't mean you shouldn't read stuff. It just means that you should have a very uh, aggressive built-in filter, right? And right. tailor your filter to your own specific goals and your own specific needs. Um, but certainly don't ignore the lessons that other people have learned. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Yeah. Two good questions, uh, a new platform, and lots of tangents. <laughs> and we didn't get to your thing that we were going to get to. -ish. Oh, of course not. Yes. No. Next time. On Lost Next Cash. time. <laughs> probably. Uh, probably. A, good, a definite maybe, for sure. One of these episodes, we'll just have to put it first so it actually gets done. Yeah. Because it true. seems like it's always like, oh, and if we get to it, this other thing that Matt wanted to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next episode, episode 230. We'll talk about code intent all right. and uh, programming and stuff like that. Good stuff. That's all we got for this week. Thanks for listening. Check us out on patreon.com slash Lost Decade Games. Check out our sponsor today, getgyroscope.com, uh, especially for Unity developers, and let us know how it goes on our Discord. There'll be an, uh, an invite to get into the channel uh, on the blog where we post the podcast and uh, also you can find us on twitter.com slash lost decade games. That's it. Thanks for listening. Ship it.
All right. You got your coffee going? I do. I got my coffee going. I'm all I'm, fueled up. I got coffee on one side of my desk. I got water on the other. Wow. You are really going to have to go to the bathroom after this. <laughs> That's right. Or, or during. <laughs> and to the end, you're going to be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't care, Matt. Yep. <laughs> or, or during. I hope you're wearing like an adult diaper. Actually, yeah, I was I really going to say don't. I have a catheter on right now. 